This podcast is brought to you by the Los Angeles Inner Group of Overeaters Anonymous. Please visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find three podcast feeds of over 200 sound files of individual speakers as well as events such as retreats and workshops. You'll also find order forms for ordering CDs of many of these speakers through the San Fernando Valley Inner Group of OA. Finally, we have a donation button where you can contribute to keeping this valuable service continuing for yourself and others. Again, our website is www.oalaig.org. I'd like to now introduce our speaker, Colleen. Um, how about, uh, oh gosh, the whole time. Um, let's do 20 and 10, and I'll see where I'm at at that point. Uh, good evening, everyone. My name is Colleen. I'm a compulsive reader. Um, thank you very much for asking me to, to be of service and to be here. Um, just to qualify, I've been in program, I came in, I think it was the last week of July, 2002. My absence day is August 4, 2002, so I've been absent five years and about six months. Um, my top weight that I know when I came in these rooms was 307 pounds, so maintaining about 160 pound weight loss. Um, I'll go ahead and pass around uh, my pictures, and then I always keep my, um, my sponsor told me to keep a piece of my clothing, because if I ever got too tired to work for my program, they were waiting for me. So these are my size 24 jeans. <laughs> And, uh, and I keep these because, again, if I'm ever feeling too tired, like I don't want to work my program, then I know I have something to wear. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, I gave the rest of it away. So, um, But one of the things that, you know, I always point out, because um, I was a, a fat chick all my life, so I didn't know that pants don't wear out here. Um, like, pants I own now don't have this problem where, like, they come apart at the seams because my legs don't work together anymore, and that is an absolute miracle. Um, but I remember things like um, hating wearing pantyhose because I thought my legs were going to catch on fire. <laughs> you know, I thought too bad the caveman didn't have pantyhose. I seriously could have lit all their fire. But um, <laughs> and I could still be taken the wrong way. But anyway. <laughs> all right. We're off to a good start. Good thing the window's open. Okay. Anyways. Um, what brought me into these rooms um, was really, it was interesting. I was speaking to a group of middle school and high schoolers um, the other night and uh, reflecting back on what it was like to be in middle school and high school. Uh, yeah, that, you know, not a memory trip I really enjoyed. But anyways, um, you know, what I remember most of that was just being really uncomfortable and not feeling okay, like never feeling like I fit in. And that really was kind of the story of my life. I mean, I remember even at an early age identifying with people who I thought were um, sort of outcasts or whatever um, because I could relate to that, you know. Um, but I very much am a person who just never felt safe and never felt okay, never felt enough, felt too much. Um, and, you know, it was never right. Um, and a lot of, of the work that I have to do today is about reminding myself that it's not about getting it right, um, that it's just about doing it. 
and um, about living life. And that is what I get to do as a result of working these steps. I get to actually live the life that I've been given. And that's a miracle. Um, so, you know, probably from about the age of, I'd say, eight or nine, about the time I had puberty is when I started to put on my weight. And um, I remember, you know, at 10 years old, my mother brought me the Weight Watchers, and I hated her for it. Um, because there are all these old ladies, these old ladies. They were probably like 20, you know, but I, <laughs> they're so old, you know. They weren't 10, you know. Like, I, you know, I remember feeling kind of uncomfortable because I don't know at that point that the kids started making, I wasn't that heavy that they started making fun of me, but, like, it was enough of an issue for my mother that I, it was something I constantly became conscious of, you know. And, um... And, you know, they wanted me to eat, like, cottage cheese and, like, weird stuff. I wanted to eat pizza and ice cream like my friends, you know. It was like, and I remember a lot of that. Like, I always resisted doing any kind of diet because the whole thing was I already felt like I stood out like a a sore thumb, so why stand out more by needing to eat differently, you know. And and it would make me miserable. Like, I just hated it. And, um, you know, but I definitely was not one to turn away food by any means. Um, I remember in junior high, my friends used to, like, if they didn't want their little brownies that came with their thing, I'd be more than happy to have it, you know. And I remember um, in uh, probably in, like, fifth or sixth grade or whatever, my sister and I played soccer together. And so we'd come home after school, and it was like a binge fest. But my sister had a really high metabolism, so she could eat all the same stuff I did, but it never showed up on her body. Boy, that pissed me off. You know, it was so not fair. Because my sister was definitely, she's younger than I am, and it's a little intimidating to have a, a sister who becomes, like, the prom queen and the cheerleader, and she's popular, and everybody likes her, and all this stuff. She's super smart. And I was always smart, but um, that seemed to be about it. I was, I was smart, and I had such a pretty face, if only, you know. God, if I had a dollar for every time I heard that one, I'd so be a rich woman. But, you know, so it was very much like, how I had to prove you wrong because I already assumed whether or not you did actually see me a certain way, I assumed that you saw me as, you know, a piece of dung or whatever you want to call it and it's recording something I should watch what I say, but um, <laughs> of course it's probably too late for that but, you know, it's it's like, you know someone was describing the other day um, about it's either like um, we are a piece of shit or we are the shit you know, there's nowhere in between. And um, for most of my life, I was um, at the bottom of the heap, and I thought that's where I was supposed to be. And um, poor me. And, you know, playing the victim role is something I learned really early on, and I do it quite well. It's a very good default for me. Um, because that is what made sense of the world that I lived in, you know. Um, if it was always my fault, and if it was always something I had to do or change or twist or be somehow, then somehow then everything else would be okay. And then in some way, some strange way, that made me okay. But it didn't really, because if that were the truth, then I wouldn't have needed the food. I wouldn't have needed something to cope my nerves. I wouldn't need something to take me out. And I really just, you know, for me, I don't even remember, like, conscious thoughts about food or needing food or wanting food. I just remember eating. I just remember eating. And um, the older I got, the more of it I needed. I mean, to be over 300 pounds and to carry that amount of weight, you have to eat lots and lots of food. Um, And sugar is very much something that just kept me out. It kept me tuned out. uh, It kept me in a fog. And um, it allowed me to sort of operate. 
and really just sort of survive. Um, but that's what life was about for me. It was about survival. You know, I didn't, I didn't have the tools to show up in the way that I needed to show up in the world. Um, the only tool I had to deal with all the discomfort and that I was feeling and that I couldn't make sense of because it wasn't like we talked about anything. That was another thing. I really believe that food in a lot of ways kept me quiet because I remember, I remember at a young age we used to have like, you know, wine or something as kids in the holidays and I remember having a sip or two of wine thinking, I kind of like this and thinking, it's probably not a good thing for me to have too much of. See, so it was not, you know, good girls don't drink, but we can share you a lot of food. And, um, you know, so I never went to cocaine, I never went to alcohol, I never went to drugs, because the food worked, so I didn't need those other things. And in some level, it's certainly acceptable to eat a lot, because, you know, people, normal people do it every once in a while, it's no big deal, you know. And um, so a lot of my eating career was, it wasn't even like a conscious thought of like, I need to get more of this. There was no thought about it. I, that's just what I did. You know, I just ate. And um, there was a fair amount of secret eating. I mean, I'll never forget the day that I was visiting or visiting some friends and their daughter, I was in her room, we were hanging out and she showed me that in her closet she had bags of chips in her closet and I went, wow. Like, the thought hadn't occurred to me that I could buy something and store it in my room. <laughs> God bless her, right? <laughs> Thanks for the idea. So, you know, one of the things I learned how to do was to buy things, keep them in my room, and then after my parents went to sleep, I'd go back in my room, which was, of course, from my parents' bedroom, very quietly go get whatever it was, and then come back, and then I would fix it in the kitchen and then sneak in the living room and watch TV and veg out and pass out. And um, so in that way it was secret. And of course it was a very big thing that I couldn't actually let my mother see what I was doing with the food um, because then she would say something about it. I mean, she would say, you know, God love her, things like, you're not really going to eat that, are you? And I thought, no, I'm just going to roll around my mouth and spit it out. And like, yes, I'm going to eat it. You know, like, you're the one with the master's degree. What do you think? You know, but that, that was the... That was the extent of her skills and her capability of saying, why are you doing this? What's the problem? But she couldn't say that. She didn't know how to say that. So that was the best she could do. So, of course, I did my best F you and, you know, continued to carry on. And um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's funny to you when I think about it because it was, in some ways, I mean, my, I don't come from a family of compulsive readers. My father is a smoker. Um, you know, he battled with, with cigarettes all his life and continues to. Um, but nobody in my family is a compulsive reader. Apparently some of my extended family are alcoholics. I mean, I'm Catholic and Irish. I think it sort of goes to the territory. Um, but, you know, it's like there was no blatant addict in the family but me. So it was like everything was perfect except for Colleen. You know, and so that just sort of added to that thing of, like, there's obviously something wrong with me because everything else is fine. It's just me, you know. Um, and so you can only carry so much of that without wanting to get out. So I, I always remember wanting to get out, just get out of the house, you know, from, like, a young age. I was like, I want to move out. I want to, you know. And, of course, none of those things ever happened. Um, and when they did eventually happen, um, interestingly enough, my disease got worse, you know. Um, and 
you know, it got to the point where it was just painful enough, and that's really what I believe got me into program. You know, they, they say pain is the touchstone of, of spiritual growth, and that is definitely the case for me. I mean, I had to get over 300 pounds before I was like, okay, I, I don't think I can do this anymore. You know, and I remember I didn't, when I came in, <laughs> I, I didn't even think about losing weight. I just was uncomfortable in my own skin. You know, for a long time, I could be like, well, at least I'm not as big as they are or whatever. And I have very much an anorexic head in some ways because I would look in the mirror and I wouldn't see the large woman that was looking back at me. I had this other image of myself in my mind. And I hated every time I saw a reflection of myself. I remember in high school walking in the hallways and I had these glass doors. And when the door would close... And I'd leave the house feeling like somewhat okay about how I looked, and it would look back at me, and I was like, oh, my God. Ugh. You know, like, what was I thinking? I mean, you know, how could I think I even looked remotely decent or whatever? And it just, it made me want to run. But there was nowhere to run to. But there was the food, you know. And um, so a lot of what happened when I came in was that I was just really uncomfortable in my own skin and I, it was recommended to me by a therapist. She said she thought I might like the whole group camaraderie thing or whatever. And I was like, all right. And I had, I had done another program which was about connecting feelings with food, which, believe it or not, for the first time in my life I ever did. I never made the connection. Just like I said, it just was something I did. I just ate all the time. It wasn't like I was feeling, you know, like I know people who eat, and they're like, I know I'm eating emotionally. Like, I did not even have the level of consciousness. Like, it was not that I was eating on feelings. I just was eating. That's what I did. And I didn't have feelings. You know, my, the only thing I felt was hungry. And one of the things that I, I realized not too long ago, you know, they have those charts with those faces and stuff. Hungry is not on that chart. <laughs> I'm telling you, I was like, oh, my God, it's not, you know, but if you asked me how I was feeling, that would have been, I'm hungry. You know, and I remember over the years being in therapist's office thinking about what I was going to eat when I was leaving, not connecting that it was because we were talking about stuff that made me feel uncomfortable, you know. And so one of the gifts, too, to me in this program is that I know the minute I start thinking about some sort of food, it's probably because I'm feeling something. And that's where my brain goes to, like, oh, that'll deal with it. And my brain still goes there. My brain will probably always go there, you know. But as long as I work this program, I don't have to take the action there, you know, because I've learned how to take other action. Um, But I still have a compulsive overeating mind, even though I don't look like a compulsive overeater. And so, you know, when I came in, um, you all were very nice. And, um, but I was just really kind of like, all right, whatever. And um, the best thing that the person said to me the first meeting I went to, because some anorexic chick spoke at the first meeting, I thought, well, okay, not eating is not my problem. <laughs> you know, I wish it was. I mean, I remember as a kid wishing I could be, like, make myself throw up. I just, I couldn't even throw up when I was actually sick and my body, you know, I just couldn't do that. And, um, but they said to me, they said, go to six meetings before you decide if this is for you. And so I thought, all right, I can do that, you know. And so I did. And, and I remember um, being at the second meeting I went to was the um, newcomers meeting at Serenity Sunday. And they were talking about the big book. And I looked at this woman who was leading the meeting. And, she was, and I looked at her and I said, yeah, okay, but you don't need alcohol to live. So you tell me <laughs> how this is supposed to work. I have no idea what she said. Um, and it doesn't even matter, you know. But, and 
you know, but I just was like, I don't get it, you know. But again, I thought, all right, you know, they keep saying to go to all these meetings and stuff. And so but the third or fourth meeting I went to was at the Darby office in the San Fernando Valley Intergroup, and they had the steps on the wall and the traditions. And I noticed that God was, like, in every single one of those. And I went, huh, check that out, you know. And and I've always, you know, probably from about the time that I was about 11 or 12, would say that I've had a relationship with God when I was ra- raised in a religious and, and somewhat spiritual household. Um, and, you know, was encouraged to sort of develop a relationship with God. And, and I considered God a friend and all those things. But what I've come to understand is that I didn't bring God into all the areas of my life. And that those are usually the areas in which I struggle the most. Funny how that works. And um, so what I've learned in program is that I was sort of agnostic as the application. I didn't know how to apply this great faith that I had. And, um, you know, years before coming into program, I remember um, I had gone out to um, Washington, D.C. to do a year of service as a teacher in inner city schools. And, um, and I had done this because I wanted to be of service. That's very much of the faith tradition. I come and you be of service and you're giving and humility and all these things. And I remember feeling completely dropped by God, like completely and totally abandoned. And I was confused. Like, I just was like, I don't understand. You know, like, I mean, it was a terrible year. Terrible. Like, everything that could have gone wrong did go wrong. And I felt completely alone, and I was millions of miles, you know, thousands of miles from my family and anybody I knew, and I had gone with this group that was supposed to be like a spiritual base, and I just felt completely, like, hung out to dry. And I remember being somewhere along the line, I'd heard this thing about that, like, God doesn't abandon us, God doesn't turn our back on us. We do that. We turn away. We abandon God. And so I remember during that year saying to God, okay, if that's really the case, if that's really true, then you show me what it is that I'm doing because I don't get it. I'm here, I'm praying, I'm talking to you, I'm you know, going to Mass, I'm here being of service, I'm doing this because I think this is what you want me to do, and I feel like you are nowhere. So you show me what it is that I'm doing to push you away or to turn you away. And... What came to me when I, when I was looking at those steps and over the course of time and program is that I come to understand that what I was doing is I was using the food. See, what I believe is that when I'm consuming that much food and that much quantity and the, you know, to numb myself out and to take myself out, there's no room for God. You know? And so I had to take the food out so that I can let God in because ultimately those, those soul tears or those, you know, that hole inside my heart, God is the only thing that can fit in there. You know, and and one of the things that I love about this program is that that concept of God or higher power can be whatever I want it to be. You know, for me, it's very much linked to the one that I grew up with, and that works for me. And I know for some people, it doesn't work that way. They have to abandon that one and come up with a new one. And I think that's totally cool that you can do that. You know, somebody I know who has a long time program says, as long as I know that it's not me, we're we're off to a good start. You know, <laughs> and um, so you know. That really, I think, is a large part of what kept me coming back even after that. And there was a certain um, peace that you all had, you know. And you were so welcoming. And, you know, like, you said, keep coming back. 
like he wanted me to. And so I was like, okay, you know, and I'm really good at people pleasing, so, you know, want to make you happy. Um, and, you know, so I, I kept coming back. And, um, and I got a sponsor, and um, I established an abstinence. My abstinence is three meals a day, nothing in between, two um, snacks if necessary. A snack for me is a piece of fruit or two handfuls of fruit, and that hasn't changed. Now, what I've eaten in those meals has changed. When I first started, it was three binges a day um, because that's what it had to be because I was not ready yet to let go of the food. Like, food is my oxygen. Like I said, I was eating it all the time and consuming it in such large amounts that to go from that to, like, how I eat now would be crazy. Um, it had to be a step-by-step process. And really, to be quite honest with you, I had to feel safe enough. And it took me a while to feel safe enough, you know, um, I mean, actually, when I, I suppose if I compare it to, you know, feeling unsafe my entire life, the fact that it only took me like a year or so is probably pretty good, but it's not a contest. But, you know, it took me a good year of being absent, of not eating between those meals um, and working the program at the level that I was working it to get to a point where I was willing to, to do, to make changes about my food. Um, and so, and I, in the process, went through a couple of different sponsors. Um, I also stopped eating uh, blatant sugar. Some people call it recreational sugar, um, cookies, candies, cakes, those sorts of things. Um, and when I stopped doing that, that was about six months. And what I found when I did that was that I felt this huge, like, calmness come up. Like, literally, my brain went, and I was like, oh, wow, I like this. You know, it was like it got quiet all of a sudden. And for that reason, I haven't gone back to it. It's not in my abstinence. I can have it if I want to. But for me, there's power in making that choice not to have it. Because for me, it's a decision between having a higher power in my life and not. You know, because that will take me out. I will very slowly disappear and, and be on my path of death yet again. And, and so I choose not to do that one day at a time. And um, when, you know, when I got to the point of um, letting go of the sugar, a lot of the stuff that I was bearing with it came up for me, some pretty heavy things that I hadn't looked at before. And so I promptly sort of hit a wall. I ended up losing about 25 pounds. Uh, but, you know, to be honest, when you're over 300 pounds, you lose 25 pounds. You can't really tell. Um, you know, I mean, I knew, like, certain things were a little bit looser, but it's not like people were walking up to me, you know, like they did after I lost 80 pounds. Like, oh, my God, you know. Which <laughs> is probably a good thing. But because um, even when I lost 80 or 90 pounds, people go, oh, my God. They're like, ugh. <laughs> They're like, thanks, I think. Um, but so, you know, I stayed at that, that point and was going to about three meetings a week and was starting to butt heads a lot with my sponsor. Not because I wouldn't do what she asked me to do so much, but because, the, you know, like, what is it? Young said something about, like, we have people in our lives to, like, help us address issues or whatever. So we were bringing up stuff for each other, and it was just kind of one of those things that wasn't working too well. And, um... And I remember sitting in a women's meeting on a Thursday night, and the woman who was sharing, she was a 100-pounder, and um, she'd been absent like 12, 14 years or something like that, and she was reading from the doctor's opinion. And I remember sitting there and listening to what she was talking about. The only relief we have to suggest is entire absence. 
And I remember just thinking that, like, who am I kidding? You know, like, I'm still carrying all this extra weight around. And, you know, like, what's the point? It doesn't protect me what I think it's protecting me from. Um, it's not keeping me safe. It's not serving the purpose that, that I always thought it did. And so at that point, I just thought, you know what, I'm done. I'm done. I want it off. And um, so I got a new sponsor, and, um, you know, she was a 100-pounder. kept her weight off for about 15 years. And, um, you know, I just said, you know, would you be my sponsor? And she said, okay, if you want to work with me, you need to do blah, 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 you know, go to five to seven meetings a week. You need to weigh once a week. You need to plan out your food a week in advance. Mind you, the most I had done at that point was call my food in at the end of the day and say what I had eaten. I wasn't willing to call in ahead of time for the day or anything. Um, but ever since I started working with her, I plan my food out a week in advance. And that works really well for me because it takes that having to think factor out of it. Because if I'm standing around going, what do I feel like eating? Yeah, it's a bad place for me to be. I've really found serenity in not having to think about it. Um, because my mind, that's where the disease pops in and goes, ooh, you know, you finish this. And you know, and it's like, it's like playing with fire. And um, so, you know, that, those were the things that, that she told me I had to do. You know, I had to work the steps. I had to call her every day at a certain time. And, and I was a little afraid of her, which was a good thing. And I was, you know, I was also afraid to say no to anything she asked me to do. So I did it. <laughs> and, you know, so many things that she said to me, you know, like, it doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what you feel. It matters what you do. And so I just trudged forward and just pushed forward. And, and one of the things that she would always talk to me about is in the seventh step in AA 12 and 12 where it talks about how pain is the admission price to new life. So she would say to me, fight for your right to be uncomfortable. And so that meant that when I wanted to eat more and I didn't get to eat more, I had to feel that uncomfortableness. And when I said no to something that I would normally say yes to, I had to feel that uncomfortableness. When I um, put a boundary with someone or didn't let someone hug me or didn't do something like that, I had to feel that uncomfortableness. And um, it's still not easy, um, but it never said it was going to be easy. It's simple, but not easy. Um, I was laughing at the sponsee of mine a couple of months ago because she was saying that somebody in the meeting said, it's, you know, it's easy. And I thought, who said it's easy? Whatever. You know, like, and, and I'd love to tell you that every morning when I get up and do my prayer and meditation routine, I'm like, yes. No, not always. But that doesn't mean I don't do it, you know. Um, or that, you know, when I look at my food for the week and it's Thursday and I've had a rough day and a long day and I go, oh, goody. I get to have this for dinner. <laughs> yeah, I get to have this for dinner, you know. Um, it, it's really not about my will, because my will is let's, let's eat more, 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 and, uh, and then we'll feel better, and then we'll get a life that's like boxed in like this, and we'll just be surviving and slowly, slowly dying. That's my will, you know. What I get by working this program is I get to step into what God's will is for me. And God's will is so much better. And the beauty of it is is that most of the time I don't know what it is. <laughs> but I have to trust all the time. And I have to be willing to be uncomfortable with the fact that I don't know what it's going to look like. And that's really hard. Because 
For someone who had to create her own safety all the time, that meant trying to do and be things so that those people would act that way, and then I would know that I was safe and I was okay. So it's really unnerving a lot of the time to not know how you're going to react and know that I just need to be responsible for my part, you know. Um, and to this day, it's still the hardest thing for me to, like, speak up and speak my truth to somebody. And it's not usually the big things, it's the little things, you know, and asking for what I need or having the small conversations about, like, well, I don't know, I was thinking this, what do you think? And waiting for the reaction and knowing that whatever their reaction is, is their reaction, it's not my responsibility. And, um, you know, the only thing, one of the things that my sponsor said to me is that the first responsibility God gave me was to me. So I need to take care of myself. And what I've learned is that if I don't take care of me, no, nobody takes care of me. And so what I've learned how to do is to take really good care of myself. For the most part, I don't do it perfectly. Um, but sometimes that means that I don't get to be, um, you know, do all the really, like, cool stuff or, you know, cool. What is cool? Um, or, you know, like, just fly by the seat of my pants or whatever, you know. But, you know, what? I really don't care because... Um, I have such joy and peace in my life today that, like, you know, I can do whatever you want, you know? Like, I was realizing that one of the things, you know, it talks about in the big book is that we've found a way up and out. And um, I'm constantly reminded of how I got out, you know? Like, I remember, I remember as a kid, like, fantasizing a lot about what life would be like. And it's not that my life looks just like I thought it would, but it feels like I thought it would feel. Like, this is what I always wanted, you know? And I don't mean this as in, like, physically, but there's a sense of, like, this is what I always wanted, you know? And what I've come to understand was what I always wanted is that peace. What I always wanted was that feeling of being okay. Because you know what? I've learned how to make myself safe. And that's the best gift that I can give myself. I don't depend upon other people to create my safety for me. Because I've learned how to do that for me. um, To the best of my ability. And I've learned to rely on God for that. And um, I still have tons of fear, you know. And I'm still afraid of, like, all the little things and all the big things. And... I don't know how I'm going to do tomorrow, but it doesn't matter because tomorrow's not here yet. <laughs> Thank God. I just have to do right now. You know, one of the things that um, uh, someone in the program said, I don't know, probably a couple of years ago at a meeting, I'm sure some of you have heard it, but she said that whenever she finds herself going, eh, you know, like thinking about tomorrow, whatever, is that she has to go, okay, where are my feet? You know, and that that's a really, really pivotal thing. Like this morning I was you know, doing my usual Saturday routine where I plan out my food and write out my grocery list and feeling all this anxiousness. And I realized, because I'm thinking about, like, well, in three weeks, I'm going to be going out of town and then I'm going to have to finagle this and do the, you know, and then in, what am I going to do in, in another weekend, next weekend, because I'm thinking I'm going to be out of town. And I was just like, okay, stop, you know. And I had to do a little bit of writing. And I was like, I'm feeling anxious because, you know, and writing has really been an indispensable tool. Um, I know that's what it says, but it really has been an indispensable tool for me. Um, because what my sponsor had always suggested to me, I mean, she'll give me a writing assignment, but 
um, as things would come up. I mean, I remember it even as, you know, like, it doesn't happen as much now, but certainly when I was going down in weight, like, I didn't want to overeat, or I didn't want to try and, like, work my will into how my food was going to be different at that meal. So I would get out a pen and a paper, and I'd start writing, because I could feel that anxiousness. And I know when I have that, like, you know, feeling like it doesn't matter what that food is, it's not going to fix it. It's just not going to fix it, you know. And so I have to write about it. I need to call somebody. I need to pray. I need to pick up the big book and read. Sometimes that's the best I can do, you know. Um, But whatever it is, as long as it's not turning to the food, I know that I'm on the right path. Okay. Okay. and so one of the things um, that, you know, that tool of, of writing has been really helpful to me because, again, I'll stop and I'll write and, and then I don't have to look to the food to fix whatever it is, you know. And sometimes I remember there was a day a couple months ago when I thought, oh, my God, what am I going to do? I mean, it was like I had such anxiousness and fear and all this stuff going on and, you know, like I called somebody and I felt better and then it came up again. And so then I did some writing, and I felt better, and then it came up again. And then I prayed, and it felt better, and it came up again. And then I read something in the big book, and it went away for a while, and then it came up, and I was like, oh. <laughs> and you know what? I just went to sleep at the end of the day and woke up the next day, and it was a new day. And sometimes that's what it, I mean, that's very rare. That's only happened a few times. But sometimes that's how it is, you know. Sometimes you just get to put your head down on the pillow and know that tomorrow will be a different day. You know, but most of the time, um, I get I get this feeling that I live in the sunlight of the spirit because of the gifts of the twelve steps, um, and a lot of that has been you know a big part for me is trusting other people um, and letting them in and letting them get to know me and being vulnerable, and that's a really hard thing to do because um, having been hurt, it's such a vulnerable point in my life in such a, a devastating way. It's really hard to do that um, because I'm constantly second-guessing myself. And, um, and you know, always issues of abandonment, all these things come up. And, you know, one of the things that I just I love about this program, and I'm certainly not someone to go around saying I, I'm so grateful for being a compulsive overeater because, believe you me, I'd really like to just have a piece of cake or just have a piece of fried chicken and not end up obsessing about it for the rest of the day or have a slice of pizza or something. But I just, I can't. You know, it just doesn't work for me. Um, so the gift is is that I know that and I don't stupidly walk into it and go, well, maybe it won't hurt this time, you know. Um, but what I do love is that, like, um, you know, I mentioned that I spoke to this group of, of young people. I used to teach um, middle school, and a number of my former students were in this audience. And that was very nerve-wracking because these are kids that I normally, I won't see them again, but just the fact that they now know this other piece of me is just a little, it's vulnerable. <laughs> so it is. And um, I woke up the next morning and had this thought of this piece of pizza with, like, the dripping cheese and all this stuff, and I was like, wow. I mean, it was, like, really romantic thought. Wow. You know, like, I haven't thought about it in that one a long time. And the beauty of it is is that I didn't then, like, stupidly think, oh, maybe I should have some pizza. You know, like, I know that just means I'm probably feeling something, probably vulnerable. And so I get to take a step back and kind of rub my shoulder. You know, it's okay. It's completely natural that you would feel vulnerable after, you know, revealing parts of yourself 
in a different way to a bunch of kids that you don't know and some that you do know, and, and that's okay and that's normal. And then I move on, you know. And that, to me, is a gift that I, I have that, those, like, triggers and things that pop up for me so I can go, oh, Okay, it just means I need to look at something, you know. Or even when fear and stuff comes up, you know, my sponsor will say, it just means you, means you need more God. You know, and sometimes I'm like, what do you mean more God? You know, like, what does that mean? You know, like, I mean, I have this great relationship with my higher power, but even I sometimes am like, more? You know, like, you would think that, that I would want to spend more time or, or have more union with, with this entity that adores me and thinks I'm beautiful and, you know, um, smiles when I make stupid mistakes, you know. But I'm human, so I, there's still that part of me that's like, I want to be able to do, I want, I always think I want to get to this point where I've got it. Got it, no problem, I don't need your help, you know, because then I'm self-sufficient or whatever that is, you know. Um, but as I'm constantly reminded in, in a lot of the spiritual things that I read and stuff is that, you know, that we're meant for relationship with a higher power, and, and we're built that way. So there's always going to be pieces of myself until I become yet again an entirely spiritual being that's going to need that higher power, that's going to need God. And when I accept that and realize that, then I get to embrace it and celebrate um, life and, and realize that these things that come up are, are just little lessons and opportunities for me to grow. You know, my sponsor always says to me, life's a gift or a chance to grow. And I always imagine her going... <laughs> and I just want to deck her. Um, but, it, but she's right, darn it. <laughs> it is. That's so much what it is. And um, so I think what I'll do is just, um, what is it? I have like three more minutes? Okay, all right. I was thinking I'd open it up for questions, but this won't really give me much time. Can I? Okay. I don't, uh, yeah, why don't we just open up for questions because I'm sure you've heard enough. Yes? Mm-hmm. Mark, I partially answered this, but uh, I'm going to take so I need more. Um, <laughs> when you said when you have a negative feeling or negative thought, mm-hmm. um, you've learned how to replace that. Now, when it happens to me, I ask God to help me. Mm-hmm. Um, more often than not, though, I'm overwhelmed um, and I wind up eating. Mm-hmm. I, I have lost 25 pounds from my top weight uh, late fall. It's like I've plateaued. And, Finding it hard to stop myself intellectually or spiritually. Mm-hmm. What do you replace these feelings with? Um, that when that happens, I usually have to pick up the phone or pick up the pen. It usually know? happens about for me. People are going to sleep. Mm-hmm. I'll pick up the pen. Mm-hmm. Just yeah, pick up the pen or or find people that that you know are up that you can call. You know, like what I um like what I've learned how to do some because for me um. Sometimes things will come up, and I know enough about myself that I might be feeling something, but I might not be aware that I'm feeling something. And so I can sort of head down this path before I even realize, like, oh, the reason all this is happening is because I'm feeling something. So when something will happen, like I get a letter from my father I haven't heard from in 16 months, you know. Like, I remember calling people going, I might be feeling something, so I just wanted you to know. I'm okay right now, but I just, you know, like, and kind of build a sort of protective barrier for myself, you know, to kind of check in. Um, so, you know, kind of setting it up for yourself before you get to that point. Yeah. Yeah, I was just wondering, did you ever get to a point um, towards right before your goal weight where it was like the last 
20 or the last 15 and, mm-hmm. and just everything stopped and or how did you deal with that last hurdle? I didn't actually. I just moved right through. Um, yeah, the only pause I had was after the first 25 pounds and then after that I just kind of went straight down. I don't, I was, there were parts of myself that I kind of pushed to the side that then in maintenance I've had to kind of deal with. Yes. Um, has there ever been something in your life that you're uh, in recovery that you're really indecisive about for a long period of time? And how did you deal with that that like you're finally making a decision with? Indecisive about for a really long period of time. Um, I'm like, well, that describes everything I have to make a decision about. Um, <laughs> Um, probably stuff around work, yeah, probably, you know, like, I was in a job that probably for way too long. Uh, I ended up getting let go, <laughs> so the decision was made for me. Um, I mean, I started to make work, you know, I just, um, <coughs> constantly turning it over, um, and, you know, like, Lord, show me what needs to change in me, you know, remove from me my will, place in me your will, give me the power and the courage to carry it out. Um, and looking to that it may not look the way I think it's going to look. I, I constantly get stuck in like, but it doesn't look like this, or they don't look like this, or this, you know. So trying to let go of how it's going to turn out sometimes helps. Um, and remembering that it's just about doing and getting it done. Um, that's a big one for me. Like taking the next step, what's right in front of me right now to do. So that's kind of it. Yeah. Okay, thank you.